Welcome back to Hand on the Line Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Boggs, and this is episode 13. Um, coming in, coming back on a, just a three-day break, trying to get back on track with the podcast. Recorded it on Monday, getting to you weekly. Not sure what happened, but uh, I appreciate the support. I got more views on YouTube and listens on Apple than I ever have. And it, that was on something just posted Friday. Probably has a lot to do with going on um, the No Name Podcast with Olin Crutes and J-Mag, but... Anyways, to any new listeners and subscribers, I appreciate it. Uh, still got a lot of questions over the weekend, which has been odd to anything I've ever posted over the weekend. So I appreciate it, guys. I'll keep answering them. Uh, one question I'm going to answer as I kind of tell a story. And there was another reason why I wanted to get on here. So I've been going to AA meetings. And not because I'm an alcoholic. I haven't drank alcohol in a, probably a year. And, and in my life, you know, I may have drank 30 times. I don't. I'm not an alcoholic. I was having a problem with school. The actual textbook, as they were describing, and I'm in an addiction class, as they were describing people battling with substance use disorders, and I was like, it's not not quite real enough, you know? It almost seemed like chalk talk that you get in the, uh, in, in, in football world, right? The chalk talk is, oh, it sounds good on the chalkboard, but you get out on the field, and the bullets start flying, it's a little different. It's like, hey, yeah, all you got to do is take two kicks, two kicks and throw your hands, and you can block Aaron Donald. And we all know it's a lot more uh, complex and nuanced than that. So <clears throat> I reached out to some local meetings, and I found some virtual meetings and stuff when, with AA. And uh, the people leading it were okay with me visiting. They basically just said, hey, yeah, you're more than welcome to come. I basically said, sorry if you're getting weird feedback noise, still at the house, not not at the studio. I might keep it here because I don't have to drive anywhere. Sorry about that. But so basically they said, hey, yeah, you could come. Just don't talk. Just introduce yourself. Don't say you're an alcoholic because obviously I'm not an alcoholic. I probably got a bunch of other addictions, but they don't have anything to do with that. So not judging. Then um, from there, they were like, if people are uncomfortable with you being there, you could just leave uh, nicely. We'd appreciate it. No big deal. So. It was, uh, it's actually a good experience because it, it, it kind of broke up the counseling from like chalk talk from the reality. Like I had suspected, it's going to be way more vivid. I was going to get way more benefit from attending the meeting and actually listening to uh, people dealing with substance use disorders as opposed to just reading about it. And I think one of the big things I got out of it was just being more empathetic towards people dealing with substance use disorders. And, you know, everyone is, you know, people have exasperated all resources to, to get over their um, addiction. And, you know, they pulled from community. A lot of people have been counseling. There's been people that were clean 15 years. There's people that over the last 10 years have not been clean longer than a month. All kinds of stories. Um, and I'll keep it vague. I'm not going to throw anyone to the bus. But I, I got a lot out of it. And there was a lot of wisdom in there. So that goes with one of the questions I had received was, do I believe that if someone hadn't played the position of offensive line, can they coach offensive line? And my answer is absolutely. 100%. You do not have to have played the position to have coached it. And this ties in with this AA meeting I went to because one of the people was, you know, saying how, um, how appreciative they were of AA because of the community it brought forth. They had tried counseling before. They couldn't build a relationship with the counselor because they felt the counselor couldn't totally empathize with what they were going through, 
because you know they kept finding counselors that had not dealt with addiction themselves which we know that counselors have addiction you know what i mean deal with addiction because counselors just like anyone else they could have anxiety depression and all that so but they had specifically said that that here they were had a community and um uh, relationships and support from people that have gone through similar things and similar trials and tribulations as them so that made me think a lot about that question and, and my response to that question so yeah in order uh, as a player and the higher we've gone up you know whether it's high school and then you play NFL or college and then you play NFL or arena or some sort of professional football not all my coaches played you know what I mean in high school I don't believe my, my coach played linebacker in Canada so he didn't play offensive line. In college, my O-line coach did play offensive line. He played offensive line at Fresno State uh, and prior to that, Long Beach Community College or Long Beach City College. And then my next O-line coach in college played at Humboldt State. And then in the NFL, I had coaches that uh, – I had a coach that went to Michigan. He never lettered. I had a coach that went to Arkansas and started his senior year. I had a coach that um, uh, didn't play – I think he played Division three linebacker. You know what I mean? So I had coaches that didn't play the position, coaches that did play the position. And uh, and then I had a coach, I think Cromer played at um, uh, Miami, Ohio, and he was the team captain. So I had a good balance uh, of people that played, not played the same level or as high up a level as I did, but it didn't matter because if they had knowledge, if they could show you they cared, all these things. You know, I think like Jim Trust used to say, uh, before you show show a player how much you know, show how much you care. So for me, if you haven't played the game, uh, there has to be a level of empathy that you keep, and that and that just means putting yourself in that player's shoes. You know what I mean? And understanding that the football is hard, blocking people are hard. You're going to go against good athletes, going backwards, pass for all these things take a lot of time. So not losing that empathy, and that allows you to be realistic. Because the, the the most the most difficult coaches to play for are not realistic. And that doesn't mean that they didn't play. You know what I mean? So you, on the other, you know, juxtaposed position, uh, great players don't always make good, great coaches, and we know that for a fact, right? We see all the time, we've seen players struggle at that next coaching level. A lot of times great players don't necessarily know the why as to why they were great or why they or how they did what they did and how to teach it. They just were able to problem solve. And – they a lot of times start off just kind of regurgitating, you know, uh, chalkboard talk, to be quite frank, until they, you know, start developing. So whether you played or not, if you're going to coach, in my opinion, and don't take this, look, don't take this as a gospel. This is my opinion. Do what you want. But whether you played or not, if you're going to coach offensive line, they both have to develop something, right? So Maybe that player, the person that played, has a better understanding, but they got to start understanding why uh, they did what they did and how they did, and then how to teach it. Because being able to do something versus being able to teach it is two different things. I think that's one thing that helps a lot of players that maybe struggle when they're young in the NFL is when they go work youth camps and stuff. It actually makes the, their ability to play a little better. You know what I mean? So they could comprehend. And pick up things and, and maybe even understand pre, uh, prior cues from coaches that they weren't grasping and maybe understand those better. So for me, just to wrap that up, is that if you're going to coach and you've never played, keep that empathy and stay realistic. It's the same thing in counseling as the one person at the A member was suggesting like, hey, I didn't have these counselors that 
went through what I went through. So that'd be the next question, you know, uh, in a related field. Can a counselor that never was addicted to a substance work with clients with substance use disorder? And the answer, according to the literature, according to my classes, and, you know, I'm just a guy that's, you know, about 60% done with my uh, counseling masters, yes. And it starts with that same thing, one of those prerequisites uh, and fundamental uh, building blocks for the counselor is, that, is empathy. And almost every theory of counseling, it always starts with empathy, you know what I mean? And then they start talking other things like self-awareness and things like that. So, yes, just understand you can always learn. There's so much information out here. I would suggest this. Don't get campy. Don't join one of these camps and think this is the gospel and I know everything now. Always learn, especially like when camps are rigid and they're not growing and they're just stay with what they call principles. You question that. Keep learning. Keep learning. Remain uh, empathetic towards the fact that, hey, I haven't been in this player's shoes. I don't know how how hard it is. Because when you get bull rushed, those that have been bull rushed, like when we watch it, if, if I'm watching a game on Sunday and I can see a bunch of players be like, Former players on Twitter be like, shit, that's rough, happens happens to everyone. And really good players, much far better than me, will say that. But on Twitter, someone gets bull rushed and they're like, oh, this guy freaking sucks. Or if it's Goda, you know, like, oh, this guy didn't turn his toes in. It's his fault. He's got a bad trainer, bad coach. His toes won't turn towards his asshole. He can't possibly stop a bull rush. But you've never been there. You know what I mean? So the fact that you haven't been there, you have to remain the empathetic. And then... There's a fine line to this empathy thing, and uh, the fact is that so you can be too empathetic, whether you're in counseling or you're coaching or teaching. I think empathy can be great, but it can also, you know, uh, prevent further development because there's this fine line of over-empathetic and not accountable enough, not holding people accountable. So it's like, hey, uh, this person's not turning their homework in. I'm a teacher. I just empathize with their position. I empathize, you know, you're fine. I understand. I understand. Well, how long do you do that before you say, hey, look, I'll stay after school with you for 30 minutes for you to start doing your homework or, start, you know, start finding ways to hold people accountable. You kind of think of, um, I think empathy gets a bad rap in certain coaching circles because you got to look at, when we look at coaching, anything in general, life, one extreme gets another extreme it makes another extreme so you'll have coaching circles being like ultra tough guy that's cool right it is what it is i'm not saying anything i have my opinions on how things should be based on my experiences based on my reflection of experiences i've seen players work better under certain environments right tough guy shit whatever that's cool do what you got to do that that ultimately has created you know the over empathetic coaching and this and that and the truth is, somewhere in between is probably right. We know, like, you can't do that old tough guy stuff because society's not the way it was when Lombardi was coaching. You could base off of his model and his methods. Society's not that tough anymore. It just is what it is. My grandparents were tough. So you keep blaming kids. And uh, just like every other generation, these kids are soft. These kids are soft. These kids are soft. It's a cop-out. You're not adapting. You're not growing. You're not learning. You're not being self-aware. And you're running from empathy. So you can keep going with that cop-out if you want. So to me, my opinion, you know, keep that empathy, but you understand you got to hold guys accountable. If they're messing up or they're not getting it, then there's a, you're going to do what you want to do. But 
there's ways that, that I think are more conducive towards success. You don't got to rip a guy a new asshole. I think um, for a new coach trying to figure out some things, and again, I'm no expert, right? I've only worked with players in the private sector, coached uh, some youth stuff like that, but uh, cybernetics, if you, understanding cybernetics and feedback loops and stuff like that, I think that's a good uh, base to go off of for a new coach or any coach or any teacher for that matter or any trainer to kind of understand how to develop players on the mental side because we know it's not all past set squats and the fun stuff. There's this whole mental side of dealing with guys and how they take in information and, um, you know, ultimately express it. So that's that um, with the A meeting and my uh, how I kind of tie that into whether you can coach or not having never played. So, yes, absolutely. Don't be a – don't let that become like a stigma or something like that. You know, go out there. You can coach. You become great. You can become great as you want. I think one of the highest paid NFL O-line coaches never played O-line. I don't know that he ever played uh, college football. I think he just was a high school football player, and he does a good job of development guys. Um, going – I'm going to just keep running with this AA meeting. <laughs> So I literally just put this mic on, uh, not with a huge plan, and I didn't read too many questions. I just noticed that my YouTube views were blowing up. So anyways, at that meeting, the way they kind of work it is after, you know, people introduce themselves, the one meeting, local meeting I went to over here, they would basically find a passage from some of the AA literature and I've been going over this AA literature. I'm not gonna lie, it's, it's really good stuff, right? And I'm looking at everything as everything's connected: development, coaching, uh, training, performance, addiction, counseling. I kind of see parallels in everything. So it's really good literature. And what they had was a the what was this one? Last Thursday. So last Thursday, um, they were reading a passage on acceptance. And there's, I mean, these guys have got a lot of wisdom because, you know what I mean, a lot of them have been through hell and back. And I mean guys, I mean girls, guys, they, them, everybody. So um, they've been through hell and back. They're finding things out. They're very becoming aware of themselves. They know their triggers. But they read a passage on acceptance, and the passage doesn't necessarily matter. It was just the word acceptance, and people reflected on what that meant to them in their sobriety. So... One guy, and, and we talk about acceptance all the time in uh, counseling. You know, not just acceptance of yourself, acceptance of others, acceptance of your mistakes. It's a powerful world, word, right? And to me, it's the more I've thought about it as I see it and as I've connected dots looking back on past situations, reflecting on past experiences, it's actually a big performance enhancer. It can be. It can be for someone struggling, whether you're struggling you know, coaching, playing, working, whatever you're doing, schoolwork, acceptance can be a powerful performance enhancer. It's kind of tricky, so I'll get into it. So basically, this one guy was describing um, that he would, he had to accept others, and he had, he had a trouble accepting others for who they were. So he just had this archetype of how people should act in his life, and if they acted this way, he, the world would be better off, his life would be better off, and he would go down this rabbit hole and be like his, it would be like his siblings, his family, his coworkers. He would just get so mad and so rigid that they, weren't, they didn't behave a certain way or respond a certain way to, way to things. 
that the next thing you know, that would trigger him. And then he would start thinking about all his flaws. So he went from not accepting people to not accepting himself to um, basically being triggered into drinking. So that was his trigger. And he, he over 10 years, if I can recall correctly, he'd not been sober longer than 100 days. And he'd not been drunk longer than three days in 10 years. So he, he'd do like a three-day bender and he'd go back to sobriety. And he was coming up on like one week, uh, or actually less than a week from getting his year, one-year coin for the first time ever in his uh, 10 years of going to counseling, 10 years of going to AA meetings. So he was really like enthusiastic to talk about uh, acceptance. And it wasn't his, it wasn't him, he wasn't the person that chose the passage, it was another woman that had a great story on acceptance, but his stood out to me because it was like groundbreaking for him within the last year. He's finally going to get his goal of being sober for a year because of acceptance. So what he said was that he, one day he started reading into the AA pass or uh, literature. And what he had done previously, he would just listen, he would get the support, he had his sponsors, but he never really dug in until within this past year. He said, you know, COVID came up, he wasn't working, or he, he had more time because he was working from home. So he's reading this passage, and he goes, holy crap, this is, this is my trigger. This is my trigger of why I keep failing at sobriety. So he started realizing that he needed to accept people for who they were. So he started off small, and this is interesting because I don't know if he knew he was doing this, but this is very similar to what Dr. Looney was talking about with cognitive behavioral therapy and using the exposure method. So he started accepting like people in his family, like really believing that he accepted them, not just acknowledging who they were. He was truly trying to accept who they were. And it started off with like, I think he said his spouse. And then he was able to accept her for who she was with certain things, like things that he had previously considered flaws. He just accepted them. And then he kind of got power back. He felt like he got agency back because he – um, wasn't letting things that she'd done ruin her days. And then he worked it with his sibling. I guess he, his, his whole family's all addicts. And um, none of them were attempting to recover from what he said. So he had two siblings, and then he started accepting them. And then it was coworkers. Uh, started accepting their behavior. And the next thing you know, he's coming up on a year of sobriety because as he worded it, he felt like he got his power back. And he finally was able to accept his flaws instead of thinking about them and then somehow matching them to other people in his life and then saying, screw it, and grabbing a, a fifth of a, what did he say? Well, it was a fifth of something. So, and so now he's coming up in a year, and it was because of acceptance. So I started going down a rabbit hole. I'm looking at a, a journal articles on, um, you know, peer-reviewed journal, journal articles and studies on acceptance with counseling. And I really see this as a huge uh, performance enhancer. So just if you kind of think about this, we've all had a, uh, a coach, a boss, a teacher, a, a relative that just, it makes you, they, they really have some kind of power over you. They have agency over you that really ruins your day, right? And no matter what, you just let them happen. You're aware of what they're going to say. You're aware of how they're going to react. You're aware of what they're going to do around you and it just ruins your day think of it as an athlete you got a coach that is uh um let's say very rigid very hard on you 
He's not no empathy, empathy whatever, however you want to say it. But in, in, in response to that, it turns you into a robot because you're just so afraid to mess up. You're afraid of what he's going to say. And you know you're aware of how he's going to respond to it. And that, in return, makes you more robotic, right? It's like he's like, if you get, if you get beat inside, you're benched. You know what I mean? And you go tell yourself, man, I better not get beat inside. And you go get beat inside because that's what you're thinking of and you were playing not to get beat inside instead of just playing to have fun playing to dominate someone, whatever you want to do, you know what I mean? So probably somewhere in between. Playing to dominate, win a team, win a team game, and have fun. Uh, but all of a sudden, you're, you're ro robotic because of that. And, the, you know, maybe that coach keeps you up at night. Maybe you start dreading football or dreading uh, practice or dreading the games because of that coach's response. Maybe you're a coach. I see this a lot with offensive line coaches. They can't stand their head coach because of the way they treat the old line the way they blame the O-line for everything, or the strength coach that can't stand that the head coach wants them to run 300-yard shuttles after practice when they're like, hey, we don't need to keep running. We don't need to keep doing this slow conditioning. And they can tell you all these scientific reasons why not to, but it doesn't matter. And the coach goes, oh, we're, we're, we're missing tackles. We're out of shape. We're going to run 300-yard shuttles. The strength coach losing their mind. Guys are popping their hamstrings. And that coach is bringing them down. I see it all the time. People um, in the workforce. At my old job, um, my boss would have been like very, very toxic, which, which you would uh, uh, adjective to describe him. My coworker would always say, um, he's a scorpion, and, and scorpions sting. Like after a, after like say we were cool, because he, he wasn't always toxic, you know what I mean? Have his days where it was fun or he was cool. Maybe that was, it was like volatile. You didn't know, there was no consistency. You know what I mean? Something could trigger him. One day, and he was cool the next. So, but my coworker would always be like, yo, uh, if he was cool, if the boss was cool, he'd be like, hey, remember, he's a scorpion. You don't want to carry it. You don't want to uh, – don't, don't let that scorpion too close because he's still stinging, right? And I'm like, yeah, bro, I got you. Like, I'm fully aware of who he is. So this is one of the – some of the dots I connected looking back after learning – after hearing them talk of acceptance of this AA meeting. So – when I've connected dots looking back, I accepted my boss for who he was, right? So it, it didn't bother me. There was a time when it bothered me, you know what I mean? Like, it, uh, it, it, I was just mentally broke down. Like, man, this sucked. Hate this place. Um, I dread going here, blah, 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 blah. But I go in. I got pride in what I do. But eventually, and I'll explain why I feel like I uh, – accepted him without knowing so right but um eventually i accepted him and he couldn't bother me so well my coworker though with him say, alluding to saying hey remember he's a scorpion just because he's being nice he can still sting you you would think oh he he's accepted him for 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 who he is or who he was i don't know if he's changed so by saying so but that's just really him being aware of what he is of what or and who he is. It's not accepting what and who he is, right? Because if some examples were like, he would he he would always say that. Like that was his saying. He's a scorpion, he'll sting you. But then when the boss acted like a scorpion and stung him, and maybe not even stung him, maybe just gave him a little pinch, because scorpions got the pinchers too. Maybe just a little pinch, not even a double claw pinch, just a single arm pinch. And he'd be like, man, I'm emotionally spent. It's only getting worse. 
I got nothing left. I'm drained. Pray for me. He would just say these things. And it's like, dude, you knew. You knew this because you're saying he's a scorpion. You're fully aware of this. That's the difference, though. He's fully aware that, he, you know, how he would describe his boss is that he's a scorpion and he will sting you. But he's not accepting him, right? Because if he was accepting him, if he, if he truly accepted him for who he was, it wouldn't, you wouldn't get responses like, pray for me, it's only getting worse. He would be able to brush it off and navigate through life as he saw fit because he would have his power back, right? So that one, uh, that stuck with me. And I think that's the million-dollar question, right? If acceptance is a, uh, can be a performance enhancer, if you got, I don't know how to explain it, if you've got a scorpion or a cocksucker or a toxic boss or whatever in your life, it doesn't have to be a cocksucker. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, you know, do what you got to do. But w if, when you have that in your life, that's the hard part is accepting it, accepting this person for who they are versus being aware. When you're aware, that's what's going to weigh you down. If you're an athlete, that's what's going to make you a robot, right? That's gonna, what's going to make you scared to mess up. We all know growth happens through mistakes, right? But that, when you have that kind of coach, you're afraid to mess up your robotic. You play in such a manner that, like I said, you're not trying to win. You're not trying to have fun. You're just trying not to mess up. You're probably thinking about all the things he said don't mess up, and you're probably messing up, right, unless you're just elite, the best of the best. But I've seen, I've seen it at the, in the NFL, pro bowlers get broken down, not know what to do, and that was what we were missing, right? We were aware of the, maybe the coach. We were aware of their behavior, but we weren't accepting them for who they were so we could just move on right sometimes when when you accept this uh accept them for where they are you get your power back like i said but it takes away that your the limitations on your mind right it takes away the uh them setting boundaries you're able to just express yourself as the athlete you see fit to be you're navigating this world as you see fit without them holding you back and then i mean the other thing with this acceptance and he pointed out an A, and he was like, hey, and I'm sponsored. He was like, I'm a sponsor to several of you in here. Uh, if somebody's abusing you, you don't accept that, right? So I'm not saying you just accept everybody. No, like if someone's abusing you, go get help. Go call, call somebody, right? But what he was saying is that the more people he accepted, he was able to kind of decide because he got his power back in this situation. He recognizes agency and, and – uh, you know, uh, things that he's done over the last, I guess, I don't nine years prior to this year of being sober. Well, he, he would decide, hey, do I cut them out of my life? Is my life better with cutting them out? So say you're in football. You, well, you're playing high school football. You don't cut them out, right? Uh, I think, well, the transfer thing is a, a thing now but um, in high school, but you go, is it worth it? For me, I'm like – I guess all my coaches in high school were rough around the edges, right? Absolutely worth it to me because I love football and I uh, loved my friends and I loved my teammates and I wanted to win, right? So it, it was worth it. But, you know, I've had a job like where I'm like, hey, is it worth it? Because I've accepted him for who he is. And I'm like, no, it's not freaking worth it. I'm out. Toodles, you know what I mean? But um, when, when you think about that, like what was the difference? Why would you know, and my, and both, I had two colleagues that were like that. They, they, they were fully aware of their boss, fully aware of our former, or I guess it's, I don't know if they still work there. I don't know. I haven't talked to them in a uh, long time. 
But uh, we were all fully aware, and only one of us was able to accept them, ex- truly accept them. So I think kind of going back to my previous episodes on these exposure you know, therapies and the cold tub and stuff, and, the, and then for me, remember I said like jiu-jitsu, what role that plays in my life for basically things not to stress me out and not to give a F, that was it. So I don't have an answer for how to make acceptance easier. I think that for me, and, you know, I don't know Dick. I'm just telling you my experience. So I'm sharing my experience, and I'm open book. Like this, I'll share any story with you. I, maybe I keep the names out, but I'm, I'm open book, uh, at, you know, as a counselor, or I'll keep confidentiality. You know what I mean? I'm reading about how you're allowed to share certain aspects, right? So, But for me, personally, I'm an open book. You know what I mean? My experiences. I'll share with the world. Um, that's just how I am, I guess. But uh, I couldn't have been on the I couldn't have been in the mob, I guess. That would make people, uh, Tony Soprano. It would make them uncomfortable because I share so much about myself. But <clears throat> I think that by me doing things um, like the cold tub and going to jujitsu prior to work. I was able to accept my boss or take him with a grain of salt, however you want to word it. I was able to, you know, I would say things like this. I would tell my colleagues, like, when they would say, dude, you know, pray for me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm emotionally done. Uh, I'm checking out. I would say things like consider the source. Like, don't let that guy get you down. You know what I mean? Well, <clears throat> consider the source. Take him with a grain of salt. Those are, those are ways of, of fully accepting this person for who he is. And not letting him fuck with me. And not letting him uh, have power over me, right? And so, for me, those exposures, that just connecting dots looking backward, unknowingly, subconsciously, however you want to say it, that's how some of those exposure therapies, cold tubs in the morning, and you know, getting choked out at 6 a.m., that's how they've helped me, right? Because those are, the, those are my big battles. I'm able to just, you know, control my physiology, control the stress so that the next thing comes, I'm like, I know who you are. I don't give a damn. You know what I mean? So that'd be like the million-dollar question. Maybe I'll have uh, Dr. Looney get back on here. We talk about uh, methods for acceptance because it is a big topic in counseling, Uh, whether you're accepting yourself, accepting others, you know what I mean, accepting – mistakes you know what i mean some some theories don't like to use the word mistakes just events you know but acceptance is a big uh topic so yeah that that'd be that so i I truly believe that um going through it when you learn to accept somebody that when you do that you cut them out is it worth it you need this job do i need to leave can i find a better job can i do better without it you start being able to think more logically and start being yourself, you know what I mean? Don't let the uh, people just turn you into robots because you don't have to be, you know, it doesn't matter. I've seen them everywhere. Uh, just kind of miserably going through motions, whether it's football or job or whatever. We all want to live, a, you know what I mean, a, a, uh, with a certain kind of, uh, uh, I don't know the word, but kind of happy, you know, joy, whatever. Anyways, uh Going back to the, uh, I was I kind of had a thought about the empathy, um, being over empathetic. When I was talking about the, 
the two the two camps of you know the old school tough guy coaching whatever I'm not saying that do what you got to do or the more like empathetic coaching you know one thing I noticed is that we have like a I guess it's like a false manufactured empathy it has like the same results as being just over empathetic I'm not holding guys accountable and it's not the intent the intent is not empathy so I see this I'll use my high school as an example. I went there like two years ago, right? And when I went there, we had this coach, Solario. He looked just, he was, he's from East LA. He was a Mexican dude, Ruben, 6'2", like 240, and looked like Rocky in his prime. But Rocky's like 5'7", and Coach Solario's 6'2". But looked like him, looked, looked Italian, but you know, he's from East LA. He ran a tight ship. He, traded, he treated everyone the same. He was rough around the edges, but everyone was treated the same. The star to the JV player to the freshman didn't matter. He would bench a star. He had no problem. He had no problem with losing a game to stick to his principles. It was impressive. I've never seen that since. Like, he legit, because, you know, you're not going to do that in college and NFL because the stakes are too high. You get fired. He would pull a guy gladly, gladly, because, you know, you were late to the uh, PE class, um, you didn't have your shirt tucked in. He didn't give a damn. So you have to respect the consistency. I've seen him bench some of the best players on our team, and he hated some of the best players on our team that were lazy. And he and he would tell them, and he'd be like, you're, "I'm not doing you any." Or he'd say, "Our head coach, Coach Salter's not doing you any favors for college." He's like, "By treating you the way you are." And I've seen a lot of those players that were going to be really good we thought would be really good in college that kind of got coddled by our head coach on the offensive side of the ball. They didn't do great in college. So I think he was on to something. It's that idea of being too empathetic versus accountable. I don't think my head coach was being um, empathetic. I think he falls under this new, you know, manufactured empathy. So when I went to my high school recently, like two years ago, I walk up, it's camp. And I'm just, you know, I'm running sprints. Uh, I had a, um, was, what was it? I just, I had a workout coming up for the Rams. So I was running sprints. And um, as I'm there, I watched like 30 guys show up late. And they came up one at a time. They weren't dressed. Oh, I'm sorry. They weren't really taped up. They would do like 10 up downs. And, and, and these are all like D1 guys. One of them was the best player in the country at his side of the ball. And his position, defense player. I don't need to say his name. He's a monster, though. And uh, show up late, buckle their their shoulder pads all slow, do 10 up, downs, and then the coach don't say nothing. They get in line. Like, the warm-ups are done. They're doing indies. Some guys are showing up during team. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? The coach not saying nothing. So I start, I start digging. I'm like, hey, what's going on? I asked one of the assistant coaches that I'm friends with. And he's pissed, and he's like, I don't say nothing. Like me, I don't know dick. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, that's okay? And he's like, it's not okay. And he's like, but it is. The head coach was afraid that a lot of those guys, if you treated them, if you outed them, they would transfer to, like, modern day or, you know, some of these private schools in Southern California. And I'm like, what? So there, there's, like, this, you know, almost, like, bias for these good players that it's not helping them. 
in the future, right? Because in college, when they get to the, you know, they get to wherever they go and they go to uh, Ohio State and they're a five-star and you let them slide on all these things, you don't hold them accountable because you have this manufactured empathy out of fear. Not really. Your intent is not to be empathetic. Your intent is not to lose the guy or not have this guy transfer to another school. Your intent is not to lose your next game because you lost your best player because your best player said, deuces, I don't like you yelling at me, coach, and he left. So your intent was not to be empathetic to his, his situation, why he was late or whatever. Your intent was not to lose. This is manufactured empathy. But if that player is going to Ohio State, they got three years of five stars lined up. So they don't have to, they're not worried about that. Like five stars don't block anyone or tackle anyone. You'll see two stars make it, three stars make it, four stars make it. They get replaced by another five star that's a year younger. It doesn't matter. I've seen five stars not start to their senior year from my high school. I'm a no star. No stars on me. Uh, but that that one kind of that stood stood out to me as it's not, they're not being empathy, empathetic. Because for any reason other than it's, it looks like it, because they're afraid to lose a player and they're afraid to lose. So one thing that was special about Solario, he didn't play that shit. So he, he was empathetic enough to treat everybody the same. Like, hey, I, I know I got my best athlete, my worst athlete, but I'm going to treat them all the same, and they're all going to be better for it. I don't care if I lose this game. He, he would say it. He goes, well, I'll go 0-5 in the preseason or in the non-league games, because all I have to do is win out the league. He was like, so you should win your league. I'll bench all you guys for the first five games. We'll play with the JV team, and if you guys figure it out, maybe you could start again. But he was like, we'll just keep JV going and see how it goes. Like, we can still make the playoffs going 0-5. So I always thought that was special, and it made me think about it right now, that um, the fact that uh, there's, like, a manufactured empathy. I, th I always wonder that, like, As I got older, I mean, I've never had coaches let me get over on them, but I've seen really good players that coaches let them get over on them, right? Like at high school, um, I would say we had like three or four players that would miss workouts or just sit around in the weight room while everyone worked, and they were going to college. They were, gonna get, they were getting D1 scholarships or 1AA scholarships. None of them did great in college. None of them did great in college. So I'm like... I'd like to ask them. It'd be hard for me to be like, hey, do they love the head coach that let them get over on them? Or, or you know what I mean? That didn't prepare them for the next level? Did that did that contribute to them not having success at the next level? Because, like, if we're being honest, I had no business being the most successful athlete from my year. You know what I mean? Like, no business. I'm not even in there. I wasn't even in their stratosphere in high school. Like, no, like when I say no stars – no offers, no coaches talking to me. And these guys got, you know, binders and probably uh, uh, shoeboxes full of offers. I always wonder that, like, and, and it was always offensive players because they didn't play that shit on defense. Coach Slar did not play that shit. Offense, the head coach would let the players get over on them. I'm curious like that. So think about that. Back to that original damn question, my bad uh, tangent like that, but think about that when you uh, – with empathy and accountability, it doesn't necessarily like you could be a badass, uh, a tough guy coach, but you're you you treat your best players a certain way and let them get over on you. 
that's the same thing as being over empathetic and not holding them accountable, right? So you're doing it innately because you're afraid. Because you're that's a cop out too. Another cop out to blaming the kids. That's a cop out because you're afraid to lose, right? Uh, I get it. No one wants to lose their job. I, it's tough, man. You only get so many, uh, so many uh, shots in uh, in a year. You know what I mean? And you could lose a year like last year. It's tough, man. I could just be talking shit. Maybe I get in the coach. Maybe I get into coaching and I turn into that guy that I'm questioning right now. I don't know. So maybe I'm not being empathetic enough towards the, towards the coach's position. But there's a fine line between being empathetic and holding guys accountable. There's a right way to do it, in my opinion. Guys are going to do what they want as a coach. I'm not telling you. I'm not the gospel. If you if we sit down one-on-one or we have, like, a debate on here, I'm fine with that. But I'm not, I'm not here to uh, mother F anybody for being who they – what they think is true. I just, I have my beliefs based on my experiences and my reflections and um, going under that thing, letting players get over on you uh, and not holding them accountable. I don't think you're doing them any, any uh, favors for the future. I've seen it a lot of out of my high school, you know, a lot of good players not having success. I, I remember there's a guy that stood out. He was a five-star DN. I was like a, I must have been like in my second year in the NFL, his senior year. And every time I go to my high school, he'd be doing nothing. He'd be sitting in the weight room doing homework while everyone was training. And then he would just go home. And I'm like, what the hell? And I remember he was like, had a conversation with me. And he was like, where do you think I should go to college? He went to Pac-10. I think it might have been Pac-10 back then. No, it was Pac-12. My bad. He went to a Pac-12 school and uh, five-star and he was like, where, where do you think I should commit to? Da, da, da. And I was like, to be honest, Fresno State. And he was like, why? He was like, Fresno State, he had offered from like USC, Michigan. He, he had narrowed it down to like USC, Michigan, uh, UW, uh, Notre Dame, a couple other schools. All, you know, Power Five, Blue Chip, right? Blue Chips, is that what they call them? And I was like, man, you probably should go to Fresno State. And he, he was like, why? I was like, because they're – any of these schools you commit to, they're already recruiting your replacement, someone to replace you with. And he, it was over his head. I was like, I don't think you know how to work, not as a team, not as a teammate. I'm like, every time I come in here, you're doing homework, and then you leave. You leave. Um, you don't lift. Yeah, but I go to 24-hour fitness after and do my own thing. I'm like, it's not the same, man. I get it. I'm not trying to shame kids. You're going to train, whatever. But there's a thing to being a teammate. So he would do homework in there. The coaches let him get over on him, uh, on them. And he went to college, and he didn't start till his uh, senior year. And he just knew he was going to the NFL. He was going to be a high draft pick. Goes undrafted, gets hurt. Didn't I think he was hurt before camp? So he never really signed. Like he didn't pass the physical. And he and there was there was places that had high grades on him. I don't know what happened. I don't know everything, but I know this like. He didn't get that gift of mental resilience that you would get pushing through some shit in a, in a high school program, a good high school program. I don't care. Upland High is a good program in Southern California. Uh, so he didn't get that gift. So when he came, when I was like, you're going to go to one of these Pac-12 schools and you're not going to be able to handle the fact that your replacement's already coming in. He's got as many stars as you. You know what I mean? So uh, that's my rant for today. Uh, looking forward to the – I watched all the. I watched about seven games from yes from uh, week two. I'm looking forward to the most right now is the matchup between uh, Teller and Akeem Hicks. 
I think that Teller, I'm always rooting for the O-line, right? But I am a Bears fan. So I think that Teller does enough bullshit and extracurricular activities to bring the monster out of Hicks. So I think it will be a great battle, right? Because when Hick turn, if Hicks turns it on, Hicks turns it on, uh, Akeem Hicks, that is, good luck. So I, I want to see that battle. I think Teller will bring it out of him. And you know what I mean? I'm, a, I'm rooting for O-line, but I got I to gotta bear down on this one. All right, so that's my rants, guys. I appreciate it. I, I don't know um, if these were all new followers giving me all these views on YouTube. And uh, I appreciate the support. I'm, you know, I think what is this, three days in between since my last film uh, or last podcast. I'll get, get back on track. I'm going to start filming once a week, start rolling with the guests. I keep saying I'm going to get the guests on here, but I keep bullshitting. My family's still dealing with illness and everything. We're getting it all figured out, though. But uh, any questions you guys have, send them my way. Even if you want to come on here and talk about something and you want to be a guest, I don't give a damn. I'm not, who the fuck am I? I'm nobody, right? I don't know dick. So I don't care if you're a high school coach, a youth coach. If you want to get on here, we could work out a time frame and talk some stuff out. Or you got some questions or whatever. Just hit me up, DM me. I'm getting more questions every day. So I appreciate the support, guys. All right, so I'll catch you next week. Like my podcast. You know, subscribe on Apple. Subscribe on YouTube. You know, leave some comments. I'm trying to monetize this shit. You know what I mean? No, You know, everyone wants to get paid something, right? We don't do everything for free. But I appreciate everybody. Thanks for the support, guys. I'll catch you next week.